Open your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. I'm only reading two verses this morning, but they are good ones. And if you get them, I think you will remember the gist of the entire epistle, the entire letter. So, please stand up. I'm going to read verses 1 to 7 of Colossians chapter 2. And God willing, we'll just work through verses 6 and 7. These are the, the heart verses, the core of this letter. Hear now God's word. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, even the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the stability or firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, Continue to walk in him, having been rooted and being built up in him, and being established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Not only to help us understand what you have inspired the Apostle Paul to write thousands of years ago. But Lord, also to empower us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Lord, that that our, our minds might not merely be informed, but our hearts inflamed and our wills energized. Lord, we, we want to live that others might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, the Father who sent His only begotten Son, who would come into this world and to die for rebels, to die for the rabble, and to rise for their justification. Father, I, I do believe that as a church, we probably have a decent understanding at a head level of the gospel, But, oh, Father, I want our hearts to be encouraged. I I want us to live together. I want to to be fruitful. I pray that there would be conversions. And so, Lord, I pray we would not be contented with a, a mere head knowledge, with factoids and doctrinal verities. Lord, I pray that this would would transform us, that we would go out into this world and with Paul, Proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. That we would tell others of what this one has done. That sinners might be reconciled to him. That we might understand the depths of the cross. That we, Lord, might tell them about the Savior who has come into the world. That our sins might be forgiven. That we might be justified. That we might live as you have designed, and that we might one day in our glorification live in a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Lord, for those who are hurting, for those who are heavy-hearted, 
May you, Lord, by the Spirit, show them the glories of this gospel mystery. And Lord, I pray that even this would inspire them afresh to serve, to be outward looking after they have been upward gazing. And Father, we just pray now, help me to teach and to preach in a manner that is worthy of this one who was spit upon, this one who was mocked and ridiculed, who was blasphemed, who endured such slanders from the very people he had knit together, the very people he as creator had made. Oh, Father, give us a great sight of Christ. Would you show us his inexhaustible beauty, his inexpressible glory, that we would say, Lord, here I am. Have me. Send me. I'm walking as I made when I was baptized. I'm walking that Jesus Christ is Lord. And others would see, I am not. This world is not. Money is not. Passions are not. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And he is the Lord of grace community. Lord, help us not just to say that in passion from a pulpit. When it comes to spending money next week. When it comes to opening our mouth. Lord, may we not be opening it in, in gossip or in slander, but may we be opening it with, with praise and, and thanksgiving and sharing the gospel. May others know, Lord, that you're not just Lord hypothetically on Sunday when we gather, but you are Lord over our families Monday through Saturday as well. Lord, you are doing a work. I believe it with all of my heart. Please do not let our sin impede your moving. Please do not let our sin Remove your lampstand. Oh, Jesus, walk in the midst of this church and powerfully confront us and powerfully transform us. We pray in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Please be seated. As one commentator said, verses 6 and 7 nicely sum up the message of the letter. And so, if you're like me, you've probably forgotten many of the sermons from chapter 1, and that's okay. Maybe that's a grace. I'm not sure. But in years to come, when you're looking back and remember that we spent probably a year in Colossians, and you're asking for sort of a thesis summary of the book as a whole, I hope that you will say it was verses 6 and 7, and I would challenge you to commit these to memory. You remember that in chapter 1, Paul was praying, verses 9 and 10, right? Since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray and to ask that God may fill you with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that. Paul's not content that we merely know the mystery of the gospel at a head level. Paul wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You're going to see a lot of, of repetition of chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, in chapter 2, 6 and 7. And it's interesting that Paul is praying every time he remembers them. With thanksgiving, he's praying that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I thought it was interesting that Paul then goes on to write a letter, which will be the means by which his prayer is answered. Which reminds me that, yes, we are to be praying for people, but we're also to encourage them. So, so pray for your pastors, but then exhort them. Remember last week we saw 
that, that Paul is agonizing in prayer, but he's also agonizing to admonish and to teach with all wisdom. And that's what Paul's doing. He's admonishing them to now live in a manner consistent with the gospel that he has given them. So I, I want us to be praying for one another. We should be a church that is exhorting one another. That you would actually, in the words of Paul, say, as you're leading your grace group, as you're leading the ladies, Dan, as you received Christ as Lord, oh, ladies, as we're studying Colossians, as we're studying Habakkuk, as we're studying whatever's next. Sorry if that was a spoiler alert. Whatever we're working through, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. Notice verse 6. It begins with, therefore. And so Paul's not chastising them. He is super pumped. He is super encouraged that there's a firmness, a stability in their faith, that they're, they're walking orderly, that they've got their theological ducks in a row, and they are in the act of living wisely. He's worried that false teachers will come on and disrupt that. But right now, he's stoked. Cliff was over yesterday. And, and I said, I, I think if Paul could borrow from the Apostle John, he would say, nothing gives me greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And I think that's what Paul's saying. I see that you're walking in the truth. But I want you to do so more and more, borrowing from 1 Thessalonians 4.10. He, he says, I see that you love. I see that God is working. But I don't want you to be content with where you're at. I want you to continue to strive, to press on. I want you to love one another in the spirit more and more. I want you to be even more orderly. I want your stability to increase. And we're going to see that. So Paul is saying, I, I, I see where you're at and I praise God. Therefore, continue to do so more and more. In light of this, in light of you being encouraged at a heart level in the gospel, I want you to continue to walk in Christ. So, so notice the very first sentence. Therefore, as, or in the same way you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and all week the Lord laid it on my heart to sort of stop and stall here. And just to ask the simple question, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Children, I want to ask you this. You have received theological propositions. You have received, as it were, from this pulpit, whether Charles or Nathan or Cliff or myself. You have heard the gospel. I believe that. But have you received it at a personal, individual heart level? You know the gospel. But have you received Christ personally? The story of John Wesley's conversion. He studied in Oxford. He sat with Whitfield and a bunch of other uh, very excited men in the things of the word of God. And they were unconverted. If you've ever read Arnold Dalimore's two-volume autobiography of George Whitfield. These men knew the gospel. They prayed fervently as unconverted men. They knew all the right answers. And here they were unconverted. Wesley went down to the United States and he was in the south preaching the gospel as an unconverted man. He knew the gospel and he was unconverted. And he came back and he was so despondent because he didn't see God working. And it wasn't until he was confronted and someone said to him, 
Have you received Christ? Is he your Lord? And Wesley said, I know he's the Savior of the world. To which he was then asked, that is great, but is he your Savior? And that's the question I would ask you children and adults. Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? It's great. You know from the Christ hymn of 115 to 20, you know he is Lord of creation. You know he is Lord of new creation. You know he's supreme over creation. You know he's supreme over the new creation. You know he's sufficient. You know all these things at a head level. But it will never transform into a, a, a different way of living unless you personally have come to that place where you call upon his name as Lord. And I would encourage you to do so. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter in Acts chapter 2. Paul in Romans chapter 10. Hopefully Pastor Ryan from this pulpit every Lord's Day. Call upon him. The Apostle John says that as many as received him, to them gave he authority to become, to be called children of God. So that's what Paul is doing. He is saying, as you received Christ the Lord, how did they receive him? Look at chapter 1. By faith. We thank God, verse 3, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your what? Not intellectual acuity, not your intellectual agreement. Paul heard from Epaphras. That their lives were transformed. Why? Because they'd pulled up their bootstraps? No. Because when confronted with the truth of the gospel, when, when the Spirit so worked that they heard and understood the grace of God in the person and work of Christ, they believed. It's as simple as that. This is the Christian message. Christ came into the world. He is the Savior of the world. But you must call upon Him as Lord by faith alone. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And that's demonstrated by their love not only for Christ, but for all the saints. Because of this hope that is laid up for them. Of which you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Romans 10 again, Paul says, faith comes by hearing. Okay? So Epaphras comes, he's preaching the message of Christ, the message about Christ. The Spirit is working in their hearts, stirring them up, convicting them of sin, but that's still not conversion. Conversion is when you call upon the name of the Lord. And yes, I believe faith and repentance are the gift of God, but we're not going to focus on that. The call of God this morning is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Here's the word preached by Epaphras. I hope preached by Brother Cliff, myself, whoever is in this pulpit. Parents preaching the gospel every day to their children in family worship. In the comings and goings of life. Oh, that everything you say would be flavored by the gospel. Because it's when they hear this word of truth, when they hear the gospel, when they believe on it, that's when... Salvation comes. That's when conversion happens. That is when one is justified by faith. Therefore, as you received, 
Theologians say that there's sort of three aspects to receiving or what is received. And I just want to touch on them because, again, I just, I'm, not, I'm just not sure if it's one of these three. I, I think it's actually all of these three. Let me explain. So first, when it says, you received. This word to receive is always used, or not always, but almost always used when receiving the tradition or teaching of the New Testament. So, so almost every other Lord's Day, when we take the Lord's table, we will often quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so verse 24, Paul says, As I received from the Lord, I delivered to you. Paul then says the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel that I received, I now deliver to you and you have received. Okay, so, so I, want, I want to caution about churches that say, well, receive Jesus into your heart. If you're not preaching the traditional truths, i.e. the gospel, this body of truth, then you're not really receiving Jesus as Lord. If, if you preach morality or you, you preach a, a, a gospelless message, people are not receiving Jesus as Lord because they're not hearing about Jesus as Lord. And so I want to say here, to receive Christ as Lord is to receive him as delivered in the gospel. Amen. And so, yes, you, you, you receive him individually, but you must receive, as it were, and concur at a head level the truth as it is in Jesus. The second thing that they say is that you receive him as Lord, as kurios, Yahweh. That this Messiah, this, this, this promised anointed one, Israel's Savior who was to come into the world, Jesus of Nazareth, not only is he the Messiah, But he is God himself, which we've seen already, right? Like we saw in chapter one, when Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God, that all things were created in him, all things have been created through him and for him, right? When it says that he is supreme over all things, in him all things hold together, that's Paul just saying, Jesus, the Christ, is the Lord. And yes, he is master, but he's so much more than master. He's God. And so, as we preach the gospel, we must always preach that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He is God come into this world. That he is God of gods. That he is fully God. And he is Lord of lords. And we will never stop preaching that. You've heard it a thousand times. But what Paul's doing is he's reminding them of the truth again. Because as you received him as Lord, you continue to live as though he's God. See, this is what happens when we sin. We forget that Jesus is God. Or we forget he's our Lord. Trace back any sin you've done this week. At that very moment, you had forgotten. Jesus is Lord. You remember those days? When you were baptized, that's the third thing. right? So receiving... The tradition of Christ as encapsulated in the gospel message, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3. Receiving him as Yahweh, but also receiving him as master at your baptism. See, a lot of good scholars believe that what Paul is doing here is he's referring back to their baptism. Because when people were baptized in Romans 10, they would confess publicly that Jesus Christ is Lord. Never forget your baptism. Your believer's baptism. Romans 6. 
Never forget, you've died with Christ to that old nature. You're no longer a slave to sin. Remember when you publicly confessed before God, the triune God, Father and Son and Spirit, but before your brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ, right? Some of you remember our baptisms. We ask a doctrinal question. Who is Christ? But you also will notice that we also ask, will you by the grace of God endeavor to follow Jesus Christ as Lord for the rest of your life? We ask that intentionally. I have decided to follow Jesus. We sing it. That's not a theological song so much as saying, Lord, by your grace, I want to live in a manner worthy of you. Some of you are living in sin. Remember when you confessed Christ publicly that you would follow him. That's what I love about marriages. Right? You go to a wedding, right? And maybe you're having a squabble, just hypothetically having a squabble with your wife. And it's great to remember how, how in love you were with this one you're fighting with. When you see others make a vow before God and others. And so Paul is saying, as you received Christ as Yahweh, as you agreed to these glorious theological truths that excited you, which had become boring, I guess, as you stood before God and before others and were immersed in water and brought out, and the joy and the desire to follow him, continue in that. Because it's easy to, to grow cold, isn't it? It's easy to sort of parrot Calvinist cliches. It's easy to go through the motions. And I, I, I love baptisms. The great excitement and joy. And I would just encourage us who have been baptized to ask God to help us to have that joy restored. Some of us are. I'm not, I'm not saying anyone is. But, but sometimes we just forget. We, we just get into the mundane. And that happened 20 years ago. Shouldn't be that way. Let me also sneak this in. If you have received, if you have called upon the name of the Lord and you haven't been baptized as a believer, come and talk to one of the pastors. We'd love to do that. We would love for you to confess Christ publicly. That he is worthy of one's life. That he is worthy of one's all. So here are these baptized Colossians. And Paul's encouraging them. Right? They're walking orderly. They're walking with a firmness in their step. And Paul says, keep it up. He's so encouraging. As you received the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. You'll notice when I was reading it, I said, continue to walk in him. It's a present tense. Every one of these verbs has this, this continual aspect. And that's not just trying to be a nerdy Greek show-off. Continue to. Hey, if you got the NIV, that's a wonderful paraphrase because it's picking up on the present tense. Continue to walk in him, not punctual. Uh, Sunday's a great day to sort of walk. Sunday morning, maybe. No, continue to. You could even say increasingly walk in him. What does it mean to walk in him? Right? Some translations will say live. Walk is better because it's picking up on the Old Testament idea of life as a journey. You're walking. And you're walking with the Lord. You're not just living for him, NLT. That's a decent paraphrase. You're not just living for him. You're walking in him. You're in Christ. And as John would again say, right? As he himself lived, so walk in him. 
Be mindful of him. Right? One of the temptations that these Judaizers had come in and, and were, were tempting the believers was say, if you want true wisdom, you need to go back to the Torah, the Old Testament. Right? We saw that last week. Christ is, is the embodiment of wisdom. And what does it look like to live wisely? What does it look like to fear the Lord? Right? I was reading it last week. Right? Chapter 9, verse 10. The, the, the very middle, as it were, theological center of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight and understanding. And, and so the Old Testament Jew, before Christ came, was to look to the Torah, to look especially to say the Proverbs. And they would order their lives in accordance with God's revelation. And what Paul is saying is that Christ is the fulfillment. Do you want to walk wisely? Do you want to walk in the fear of the Lord? Then walk in Christ. Again, you're like, well, what does it mean to walk in Christ? It means to be constantly aware of your union with them. None of the commentaries picked this up, but I think they missed the fact that it is to walk in him is to be reminded of all you have in him. So let me explain that. Go to chapter 1 and look at Paul's prayer. If you're in Christ, you have everything necessary to live a godly life. All of God's spiritual treasures and, and riches are yours in Christ. And so, verse 9 of chapter 1, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's in Christ. If you're in Christ, God has shown you what the knowledge of his will is. You are to now live for the glory of God in Christ. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you have that in Christ. You have all spiritual wisdom and understanding in Christ. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What is God's will? That you walk fully pleasing to Christ. Not just keeping Proverbs, but living consciously for the glory of Christ. Right? Your, your holiness, your wise walking is simply this. Increasing your Christ consciousness. Centering your life on him intentionally thinking about him. And it's easy to say, oh, those cheesy, what would Jesus do response. I'm not against those. If it's legalistic, I am against those. But your life should constantly be saying, what is honoring to King Jesus? Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Here it is, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. That's yours. You have these things in Christ. And so it's more than just trying your hardest to live for him. It's walking with him. Walking literally in him. That's what it means to be filled with the spirit, by the way. If you're filled with the spirit, you're walking in Christ. You're living in Christ. And that's what Paul wants them. He wants them to be so overwhelmed, so filled at a mind, heart, will level of Christ that everything they do is transformed into a transformed walk. So remember, how did you receive Jesus? Continue to walk in him. You know how I received Jesus? As a helpless, weak, needy sinner. That's how I'm supposed to walk every day of my life. You remember that day? I remember the day I was converted. Had it all, third year university. Humanly speaking, the, the future looked bright. 
and inwardly just broken, inwardly confused, troubled, despondent. And then as it were, this ray called the gospel broke into my heart and all of my, answer, all of my questions were answered and I came to him not having it together. I didn't come to him flexing. I came to him broken and weak. That's how the Colossians came to Christ. As Robert Murray McShane said, no, Samuel Rutherford said, that the way into the kingdom is under a low drawbridge, down, down with your haughty sails. This is how you receive Christ, not only in your conversion, but this is how you receive him in your sanctification. Calling upon him tomorrow, God, I'm a weak, broken sinner. I'm troubled. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with life. I'm confused. Seems like darkness is all around me. That's when you call upon the name of the Lord and he saved you. So continue to call upon him in your weakness. You don't need to come to him when it's all together. He saves those who are sick. The, the, the physician loves when the weak and the sick and the unable come to him for healing. Would you call upon him this morning in that way? I know many of us are hurting and halting and broken. So receive him in your weakness. Receive him in your brokenness. Receive him not as part Savior. Receive him fully. Because that's how he comes to those who ask. And then do so tomorrow. (laughs) And then do so on Tuesday. And then do so on Wednesday. And then tell others who are struggling to do the same. Paul's doing this, but he's, he's exhorting, he's admonishing, he's teaching. Continue to receive Christ by faith. We walk not by sight. That's when we get into trouble. Plausible arguments. That our faithless makes sense. But as you're receiving Christ by faith, as you're walking in Christ by faith, all of those things get burnt up and seen for the lies that they are. So what does it look like to walk in him? To continually walk in him? As I would translate, to increasingly walk in him. Paul gives us four pictures. And this is a little nerdy trivia thing but when he prays for them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord he also gives four participial pictures a participle is an ing verb so go and look at it in chapter 1 and see if I'm telling the truth but, but what Paul's doing in his prayer he says I want you to walk I'm praying that you walk this way and then he gives four pictures and now he's commanding them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and he gives four pictures those are, those are for nerds like me. But it actually just makes me just say, this word is so gloriously inspired, inerrant, sufficient. This is so God-breathed. And I love it. I hope little things like that, like that excite you. That Paul is not writing this out of his own mind, but as he's carried along by the Spirit. Paul prays that they walk in a manner worthy of Christ. And now he commands them. This is the first command, by the way, in the book of Colossians. We're already into chapter 2. This is the first command. The fancy word is imperative. And before Paul gives imperatives, before Paul gives commands, he gives indicatives. I learned this in seminary. It blew my mind. 
indicative imperative. This is Paul's MO. This is how he rocks. He doesn't just say, do, 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 do. He reminds them of the gospel. Here's the gospel you receive from Epaphras. Here's the gospel I'm repeating to you. This is true of you in Christ. This is who you are. You have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You can be strengthened with all power in his glorious might. All these things are true. You're forgiven. You belong to the Lord. This is who you are. Indicative. Now, this is how you live. Imperative. Never mix them up. Otherwise, that's legalism. Right? Legalism says do, and then these truths become yours. Paul says, no, no, no. This is who you are in Christ. Now live out of that. That's the right order. Right? Indicative. This is true. Imperative. Now do. Behaving comes out of believing. Have you believed in the Lord? Then walk this way. First picture. Rooted. I love the LSB. It says firmly rooted. It's the picture of a tree. And I love how the NLT says, let your roots grow down into him. That's a beautiful picture. And I think Paul's drawing from two Old Testament pictures. Everyone knows Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Who is the man? Ultimately Christ. But then those who are now in him. So blessed is Christ. And blessed are those who belong to him. Who does not what? Does not walk in the way of the wicked. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Or wait, nor stand in the way of the wicked. Nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his chafetz, his delight is in the law, the Torah, the wisdom of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly rooted or planted by streams of water. It's the picture. when you Lethbridge is a dry, dry, super dry area. Like Christina's hands like bleed. It's so dry here. But when, you're, right, when you get into like August, September after another drought... You will notice there's a green spot when you're driving to church if you're taking number three in. It's all the trees that are by water. All those trees that roots go deep, 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 deep looking for the water of life. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He will be like a tree firmly rooted by streams of water which bear, yield their fruit in their season. I think that's what Paul's saying. But Paul's saying, don't let your roots so much grow deep down into now the Old Testament Torah. Let them grow deep into Christ, who is the fulfillment of Old Testament Torah, who himself is wisdom. This is a Christ-centered way of living. It's a Christocentric ethic. So how do you let your roots grow deep into him? The tradition you receive, the gospel. Right, Jeremiah 17. Everyone knows Jeremiah 17, 9, right? We're filthy Calvinists, and we know that the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We can't trust it. But right before it, in verses 7 and 8, he uses the exact same analogy of Psalm 1. That even these people in exile, that God promised he would not only uproot them, but then he would root them, and they would then bear fruit upwards, they are to, to, to find themselves being increasingly rooted in God's promise. They would find life in this water. 
And I would say that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, are you letting your roots grow down deep into Christ? Are you saying with the Apostle Peter, I'm like a babe and I need that spiritual milk, which we saw is not so much the word, but the grace of Christ. And the word is the bottle or the breast by which the grace is then granted us. Would you pray that this week for yourself? And as you're agonizing, right? Maybe we didn't agonize this week. I would encourage you to agonize next week for your family, for your grace group, for this church, for your pastors. Would you pray? Oh, God, would you cause the roots of faith that you began in Ryan to, to go ever deeper into the, the gospel of Christ? It's unfathomable. You, you will never, ever be able to plumb the depths of all the riches that God has for us in Christ. And so just pray, oh, that that, that that root is just looking for life, looking for water, that you would be thirsty again for this book, not just to know truths, not just so you can quote it on Facebook, so you can know this one who is life itself. Let your roots grow down into him. That's the first picture Paul gives is of a tree. It, 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 it's in the perfect tense. So it, it has been rooted. That's what happens at conversion. But you don't just ask Jesus into your heart and then just wait for heaven. That, that's, the, that's the error of, of a lot of evangelicalism in the, nor, in the West, in North America. Accept them, receive them into your heart. Awesome. But the tense of this participle says, increasingly, let your roots go down into him. Second picture. A lot of people are like, Paul, you're always mixing metaphors. Paul doesn't care about being consistent. Like, how can you be a tree and how can you be a building? Whatever. Let the liberal commentators argue over that. I just want us to know what the text says. So the first thing is, let your roots go down deep into him. One's going down and then the other is building up. Oikodomeo, it means to edify, literally to build up with the preposition epi. So, so you're constantly building upon. You're building upon the root, the foundation, which is Christ. And this is what Paul even says in, in the book of Ephesians. Yes, Christ is the cornerstone, and the apostolic tradition you received is the foundation, but continue to, to be built up on him. And again, how are you built up in him? Right? How are you building? It's going back to the word of God. That, that, that the house is constantly being built. Again, this is, there's a proverb, actually. It talks about, about by wisdom establishing the house and then understanding, forming the walls, and then even knowledge filling the house with all kinds of precious treasures. Ask that God. Pray that God would help you to not only go down deep into Christ, but as, as you go down deep into Christ, your life will be built up in him. Edify. It will be encouraged. And so the first picture... As of a tree that is firmly rooted. The second is of a solidly built house. Pray that would be true of you. The third one, this is interesting, established in the faith. 
established in the faith. This word is, is used of a legal document. And I actually had to write this down just before I came here because I thought it was something else. But it's, it's a legal document where you would sign as a guarantee. So it would provide us a, a stability or a surety, if you will. We don't know that word. It's a gloriously old Puritan word. But, but let Christ increasingly be your surety. And this is what the word means here. It means to make sure, to strengthen inwardly, to make unwavering, to put beyond doubt, to guarantee. This is my paraphrase of what it means to have assurance. Right? The more you study the gospel, and the more you live it out, God will grant you assurance. Right? I, I, I'm thinking of Calvin, reading a guy named Joel Beakey, and he says, not every Christian has assurance, but God wants every Christian to have assurance. And you know how you get assurance? By knowing the truth and then living it out. If you're not living it out, if you're not walking in Christ, don't be surprised if you don't have assurance. You should be questioning your salvation. But as you go into the word, right? As your roots go deep into Christ, as you live, your roots go deep. As you study and feed and then live it out, you're built up. Right? You can see it. You can see progress. It's not a... When we went to Mexico, I'll never forget. Is Mark where? I don't know where Mark's at. It's... John, remember, that they always start, right? There's the foundation, then just driving, there's foundations everywhere. But there's never any movement, there's never any increase, there's never any building up. And so you're like, I have no surety if that house is ever going to be completed. But if you see progress, it increases your surety. It gives you a greater degree of guarantee. You begin to, to stop doubting. So let me encourage you, exhort, even admonish slash rebuke you. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him. And what will happen is that you will be more and more established, not in your faith. I don't like how the LSB translates that. It's in the faith. So go and study the word of God. The NLT does get it right, though. It says this. Then your faith will, go, will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. So your faith is built upon the faith. Okay, your faith cannot increase unless you know the faith. And what is the faith? It's the truth as it is in Jesus. It's the grace of God in the gospel. And some of us don't like to study theology, but let me encourage you. To study theology. It's not a scary proposition. It's actually one that will help you become increasingly established. Because if you're not established in the faith, you'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by deceitful schemers. First picture, rooted like a tree in Christ in the gospel. Second, it's like a solidly growing building that is, is, is increasingly being edified. Third, it's sort of like a document that is being confirmed and settled. I want that. I want you guys, I want us as a church to be increasingly settled in the faith. And the last one is abounding in thanksgiving. As you were taught, go back to the gospel. Live in the gospel. Live out of the gospel. Live with the gospel. 
And what does it look like to live in a manner worthy of Christ? What does it look like to walk in Him? One commentator said this, Gratitude to God is to be the main characteristic of God's people. And you're like, no, it's obedience! Aha! If you are a grateful, thankful person, you will be an obedient person. If you're a a groaning, curmudgeon, moping, thankless, ingrate, you will be disobedient. Just think about your life. When When are you obeying the Lord from the heart? When you're blown away with the gospel. When we sang that, do you marvel at the cost? Christ cast out by God? The sermon doesn't begin when loud Ryan starts yelling from the pulpit. It starts Saturday night. It continues as Cliff urges us from Psalm 119. And it's when Nathan's leading us in song. I marvel at the cost. How could I not obey this one? How could I not be? I I almost wanted to come up right after we sang that and just say, I don't know what you're going through. But what we just sang answers all of your questions. Are you discouraged? Christ took the wrath of God for your sins. You don't know the future? Jesus Christ drank that cup for you. Are you discouraged? Jesus Christ gave you his perfect righteousness and became a curse for you. It just changes everything. It reorients us. When, we, when I was baptized, all of the problems that would follow life, they seem to be gone at that moment. It doesn't erase them, but, but my baptism presents just the right perspective of seeing life. I was a hell-bound, condemned sinner. And if nothing changed financially or relationally or anything, I'm in Christ. I have a hope laid up for me in heaven. And I'm thankful. And I think sometimes we're a very thankless people because we're a very forgetful people. And so if you're tired of the pastor always preaching the gospel every Sunday, this is why I do it. This is why we do it. Because we have gospel amnesia. Because we're, we, 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 we struggle with short-sightedness. And we need to, as it were, put Christ before us. That he might be our all in all. Right? As Epaphras taught you, as I am teaching you, continue to live out of that teaching which you received, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter 1, verse 3. Where's Paul when he writes this? This isn't, you know, some commie socialist Canadian jail in 2023, right? Where he's got like top-of-the-line workout equipment, he's getting a good meal, I got it. Like, jail's not fun. But this is a Roman prison. Like, Paul could literally die here. And here's, here's Paul, himself modeling. One who is deeply rooted in Christ. One who is being built up in Christ. One who is sure in Christ. We always, what? Thank God. That's the same root, pun intended. We always are thanking God. When we pray for you. So here's Paul. Thanking God. Living for others. 
He's not focused on himself. He's focused on Christ. And what is the result of focusing on Christ, truly getting it? Thankfulness. The main characteristic of God's people, out of which true obedience and true worship flows. It's more than just gratitude. The NASB has as abound or overflowing with gratitude. That's not strong enough. It's not enough just to have a, a grateful heart. That grateful heart needs to release itself in outward thanksgiving. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Paul wants them to be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience. And we need it. All endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Paul doesn't say only when things are good. Right? You, you need endurance and patience. You need steadfastness for the hardships of life. But if you're rooted in Christ, if you're being built up in Christ, if you're established in him, something amazing happens that irrespective of what you find yourself in, the spirit wells up within you and you can give thanks to the Father that he has qualified you to partake of this inheritance of the saints in light. That you share in the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It just changes everything. Everyone who is in Christ this morning, I don't know what you're going through. But I do know this, you have every reason to be thankful to Christ this morning. Chapter 315, look at this. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. How are you thankful? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Singing. Thanking God, verse 17. Doing everything, right? Notice the link. Doing slash walking, thanking. You see the link. Most of our disobedience flows from an ungrateful heart. Let me put this before you. Labor to be thankful in Christ this week and tell me if you were more obedient than ever before. That's my test for you. Don't worry about obeying Christ. Worry about being thankful. Have a grateful heart and see what happens. Right? Do everything. Do, walk, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. I love the word abounding. Overflowing. One commentator said, it's like a jug of wine spilling over. We get angry when we spill things at the case house because it always makes cost. Like milk! I cry over spilled milk. But this is a good spilling out. I want, I want joyfulness. I want thanksgiving. I want gratitude to spill out of my life in good works and in encouraging others. Do you see it in Paul? I don't think he's like, I'm going to write these stupid Colossians because I got to. I don't see that. I think Paul was constantly blown away that he was a Christian. And I think Paul had to remind himself, if he's anything like me or you, he had to remind himself of that Damascus road. Right, when, he was, when he was on the way to persecute Christians. When he was an enemy of God. And now gloriously reconciled through the body of Christ's death. So here, as I said, this is the middle, the central, the heart of Colossians. If you want to memorize two verses or even one, just 
remind yourself of this. Therefore, in the same way as you received the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord, continue walking in him, increasingly walk in him, increasingly being rooted in him, increasingly being built up in him, increasingly being stabilized and established in him, and increasingly overflowing with thanksgiving as you were taught. So go back with the psalmist. Go back with Jeremiah. Go back with Paul to the Lord Jesus Christ. In him are all the treasures of wisdom. You want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? In Christ are all those treasures of wisdom, of right living, of a God-glorifying life. I see it's only 11 and I have another hour to go. Now let's pray and let's participate. See, see, taking the table is a wonderful, stabilizing reminder of the gospel. It's meant to, to shore up all of your doubts. It's a great reminder. Christ lived for me. He died for me. He rose for me. He's returning for me. It's just a piece of bread, Pastor. It's a glorious reminder that you have received Christ as Lord. And as you partake, thank him. Abound in thanksgiving. Even if it's audible in a Baptist church, thank him from your heart and with your lips. And say, oh Lord, would you help me to live for you this week? Would you help me to actually make decisions like your Lord and I'm not? That I would, I, I would use my money as though your Lord, my time as though your Lord. My treasures as though your Lord. My talents as though your Lord. Would you help me to encourage one another as though your Lord? Don't just mindlessly do the tale. I'm not saying you are, but, but let this be the climax of this morning's service. Father, I pray this morning that there would be those for the first time receiving Christ Jesus, the Lord, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. And Father, I pray for those who have done so, that, that they would want to now publicly proclaim that Jesus is Lord yes. through baptism. Father, I pray for us who have been, maybe years or decades, and would you restore to us that great excitement, the great joy of your salvation? When, when life was simpler, we simply just wanted to live for Lord Jesus and we weren't caught up in all the drama. Oh, Father, would you just simplify our lives that they'd be rooted, established, strengthened, abounding. Lord, we do want to live in a manner worthy of King Jesus. And so would you strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might? Would you help us to have the endurance and patience necessary and Lord, would we be a thankful people? Yes. Not just, not just a, a, a little pipette here or there, but just a torrent of it overflowing out of us. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, for transformed lives at every level this week to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ, the Lord, to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, please hear our prayer now. We ask in his name. Amen.